what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn, we've got to do a new ad, mate. We do. We're long overdue. We're not going to be sponsoring Einzerwiener anymore. Yeah, well, fuck that no guy. longer. He's fucking not paying us. <laughs> no. We've just figured out. No. We just, he's sitting right here in front of us <laughs> and we've just figured out he hasn't actually been paying all no this time. No wonder there's no bread and milk on my table fuck. in this house. After we were just nice to him. <laughs> we're just, fucking. We're just flattering him. We were just whining and dining him, <laughs> looking after him like a big fucking client we'd look after and then we find out he hasn't find been paid out he the hasn't bill. Been paying us. the bed. He's doing it right now, so we <laughs> we may as well tell people that if they're in Australia and you need dog gear, don't get it from him. Well, get it from wait, him. Wait until he pays the get bill. Get it from him so that he can pay us. <laughs> What's your stupid website, Jason? E i n z w e c k dot com. There you go. Get your stuff from there. Okay. All right. On to the real sponsors. Yes, the people who actually pay the bills. Canine Suticals. Yep. The best canine Suticals. Premium grade, yep. human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah. it. Yeah, it's great shit. Dan Croft. Yes, in Canada. In Canada. Yes, Toronto, Canada, I believe. Yeah. Yes. What were we pushing for him? It's puppy class. Puppy class, yeah. Amazing puppy classes in a great facility. Barbara DeGroote. From the heart dog training. Barbara just loves us and we she love She just Barbara. loves us. Barbara is our sugar mama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that literally is the thing's called, right? Yeah. The tear that she called. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the sugar mama tear. Thank you, Barbara. We Thank appreciate you. Thank you, Barbara. We love you. Horny George Kittredge. Yes. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Yeah. The yeah. box is incredible. I saw it for the – did we talk about this? Have we done an we ad have. since? We yeah. have talked about how amazing the boxes is. You and I travelled from – where did you pick us up? What, what airport that was, was that? Uh, in Colorado. Colorado. He showed us the prototype. Yeah. We was talking through it. You and I were sort of thinking this is never going to take off. Yeah. And finally – he it's does it. Deal. He pulls it off. Not only does he pull it off, it's fucking brilliant. Like it's safe. And he also does classes where he teaches people how to use them as well. Like teaches the dogs how to get up on the bike seat and then load into the box itself. And it's bloody brilliant. It's incredible. Really proud of George. Lovely guy. And I'm really happy that this is paying out for him. All right. Daniel Trapino? It's actually Tropiano. He corrected me. Okay. So anyway, Daniel Trapino. <laughs> Dog Club South Dog Club, Australia. Australia. Yeah. It's a cool little facility he's yeah, got It's a there. great facility. Get yes. in, check it out. He does all the, all the training. Yeah, he's decked it out. He's got it all looking schmick. It's a bit street. It's a bit edge. It's a bit kitschy. You yeah, know? he's got some cool artwork yeah, and stuff there. Check yeah. it out for yeah, sure. It's great. It's about time South Australia started lifting its game. Good on you, Daniel. Yeah, leading the charge down there. Well done. We've got a new one. Who we got? Tailored Canines. We have too. They contacted us on Instagram, yep. stumbled into our advertising <laughs> tier, and away <laughs> we go. Yep. So they're in Canada. They are. They're in Ontario. Gold, Nipopo gold people, yeah, gold multiplicators. I think, I think they're a gold multiplicator. Yep. yep. So if you're recently certified as a silver school and you're mm-hmm. looking for somewhere to do your gold yep. and you're around the Canada or just anywhere up that northern part of the Americas, check it out. Taylor so they Canines. do puppy, adult group classes, private and board and train programs. There you go. Taylor so thank you for jumping on and advertising with us. Hey, everyone. 
If you would like to be an advertiser, <laughs> do it. Reach out to us. Shut up, you buffhead. So I know that on Patreon, and we appreciate people just putting money in there. That's wonderful. Yes, but we do have to limit how many people we have, and so get in contact with us. Make sure that we actually can serve you, and that we actually, you know, can provide you value as an advertiser, and that you align with our ethos as well. Of that, course, that's very important. That would be appreciated. To recap. Our sponsors are, and the people we love because they give us a lot of money. Yes. Well, it's not a lot of money, but some money. Yeah. Einzewick, he promises he's going to do it. He's look, I'm looking at him now. I'm looking at the reflection of him fixing it. Has it that gone through yet? No, because still trying. has got shit phones. So. <laughs> Dan Croft, puppy classes, yep. cool facility. Barbara de Groot. Amazing. Sugar mama. Love her. From the heart dog training. George Kittridge. Rowdy hound dog boxes. Daniel Tropiano. Tropino. Tro- dog clubs. Troppy <laughs> Daniel. Dog clubs. <laughs> Australia. Yeah. And new to the family, tailored canines. Yeah. All the way from Ontario, Canada. So we've got two Canadians. That'll do advertising. Yeah. Mo- do. Mostly from the United States. One from Oz. Well done. Well played. Thank you, sirs and madam. Check them out. They support us. You yeah. should support them. Yep. Here's a show. There's a show now. Here's a show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm not in the studio today. I'm at my shop. You're but, in the haunted uh, studio. Yeah, I'm at this studio. Glenn, how are you? I'm good, Pat. How are you? Good. My favorite part is when we pretend that we haven't just been talking for the last half an hour to each other. <laughs> I, I know. We were looking for a topic to discuss and also <laughs> waiting for the rain to blow over. Mm. But we're here and we've got one. We have something to talk about, which I think will be value to the community anyway. I have a folder in my phone of questions that people ask. And there's one here by a lady who I won't say the name of because she specifically asked not to. Mm. And she said, I wonder if you could maybe have a conversation about something I'm having a hard time with recently, sports related, however, not necessarily dog related. So I've been thinking about jealousy a lot, about feeling jealous, but about also being the subject of someone else's jealousy. And she goes on to talk about some other stuff that we won't go into. So I thought that is an interesting place to start a topic of conversation about jealousy in the industry, in clubs, in training. I'm going to throw you a curveball. I know we didn't discuss this at all, but do you think dogs can be jealous? Is it an emotion that a dog could feel? I guess we call it jealousy but then it is often described as resource. Mm. Most of the boffins in the industry agree that it's not really a jealous component. It's more of a resource guarding component Mm. where they basically see something that's theirs and say, well, that's mine. And all they want to do is protect the resource or reclaim the resource from the other dog. The anthropomorphic side of the human wants a dog to feel jealous because we like that feeling that some people get jealous about us and want to claim us. But Is it jealousy or is it more of a resource? Mm, Well, let's define it, right? So I'm looking up right now. Jealousy is generally refers to thoughts or feelings of insecurity, fear, and concern over a relative lack of possessions or safety. So like within that definition, I would say the dog certainly like that exactly what we've just described, right? Mm. So feelings of insecurity and fear of concern over relative lack of possessions or safety. So like that would, you know, I think comes into for sure what a dog could feel. And I think it's one of those topics of like anthropomorphization, which is the hardest word in the world to say. Like I think that people might prescribe or assign jealousy 
to a situation which is a resource guarding issue. But then again, like I think that in human terms, sometimes that when we would say that someone is jealous, you could probably reframe that conversation and say that that person is resource guarding something, especially when it is they're jealous over interactions between two people. I think that dogs probably can't feel jealousy in terms of looking at a dog and thinking like, gosh, I wish I had what that dog has. You know, like, I don't think that they can be jealous in that terms of like, certainly people can look at the lives of a person or of another that, you know, they've perhaps never met, haven't interacted with or peripherally know whatever and go like, I wish that I had the life, the things, the access, whatever it is that that person has. And I do not. And, you know, we would easily call that jealousy. I doubt that a dog ever looks at the living situation of another dog and says, gosh, I wish I had that living situation. But I do think that a dog could look at a dog's interaction with its own handler and have feelings of insecurity, have fear and concern over the relative lack of the possession, that opportunity, that you know resource that the handler has, whether the handler is the resource or something like that. So I think that like I've always kind of thought that dogs for sure can feel jealousy, but maybe with not the same level of depth that a human can. Yeah, that's a very interesting observation. And I recall a a very similar point, not around jealousy, but around bravery, where you talked about people's desire to want to claim that the dog will do a brave act for him. But you made a good point, which I've thought on quite a lot over the period which you said it, when you remarked on how a dog wouldn't understand that was taking a bullet for its owner where a human being Mm. would. I think that realigns with what you're talking about jealousy is I don't believe that dogs have the mental capacity to understand that in full clarity. However, it's difficult for us to completely define exactly how it is that a dog thinks. I think most behaviorists that are looking at it now really try and simplify it and they draw in comparisons to the human evolution from a child to an adult to a dog's evolution from a puppy to a dog and they say that the drift between the dog's brain and emotional development starts to differ from about three to four years of age in a child, where a child goes Mm. on to be far more cognitive and start to think on life and experiences and different ranges of feelings that are very human and make us remarkably different to most species that are inhabiting the earth. And therefore, when you start to think about that in contrast to how most animals think, it's mainly derived around their instinctive life and then learn knowledge about how to survive. Mm. You know, I mean, it's a very simplistic and very, I guess at some stages, it's actually a very blissful sort of lifestyle because they don't have too many complications. One of my favorite books I've talked about a few times is this book called Brain Rules for Baby by mm. a guy called John Medina. And uh, I read it, I don't know, well, before Rip was born. So, you know, eight and a half years ago, something like that. And I reread it before Axel was born just as kind of a refresher. It's it's a really excellent book and it's about brain development and kids. And really the punchline of the whole book, it's sort of how do you create the smartest, healthiest kid? And it's just keep them safe and happy is basically what it comes down to. Yeah. But in that he explains like as emotions come online through development. And so the first time that you're angry, that can be a really peculiar thing, right? And he sort of explains as what I've done with my kids is when you can observe a situation that rightly should make a kid angry and they start acting accordingly, that's a time when you can explain to them and go, hey, what you're feeling right now is anger and you can name it. And in doing that, 
you're likely to make the person more empathetic because then they can understand emotions better and they can see it in others. And there's a lot of things that come of doing that well for a human being. But I've, I've thought about that quite a few times when I watch puppies, you know, like, cause I, I spend a fair amount of time with puppies. I've raised plenty of them. I have a lot come through my hands pretty regularly. And one of the things I constantly find myself telling people is like, when that puppy has a tantrum, just put it to bed. That's it. Mm. <laughs> you know? And you see, like, I reckon there's plenty of dogs that are sort of convincing their owners or certain people who, you know, perhaps want their dog to have an issue because there's plenty like that, that they have rage syndrome or that they're very aggressive or, you know, all these various things that can go wrong with a puppy. But it's just because that puppy is fucking tired and it is having a meltdown and it's like angry for the first time. Like it's never felt that way before because like by the time it's 12 weeks old, you've kept it up too long for whatever reason, you know, like it's missed a napper that it needed and you then were like doing a session with it and you ended the session and you took the resource and it still doesn't understand. It's too young to understand. It's like session ending cues yet or whatever. And it just cracks the shits and goes mental and starts running around screaming and barking and biting the fuck out of whoever it can. Like that's totally normal 12 week old Malinois puppy behavior when it's tired. And people are always then like, oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> I'm like, you just grab it in a way where it can't continue to bite you and you put it in its crate. And I promise you, it's going to howl and scream when it goes in that crate. But within five minutes, it's going to be asleep hard. And I think that's one of those things of like those emotions that like quite complex emotions that I think can be felt by a dog, but are nowhere near like a human level of complexity. But the first time you're having those, I think can be really overwhelming. And for sure, I know we've talked about it on the show as well, like for sure, I've observed that in my own kids. The first time Axel had a giant meltdown over something, it was quite funny for me. And like, I just kind of have to support him through that and be like, no, you're not getting to stay up all night. Like you are going to bed. This is happening. We are going up the stairs. You are having a bath. But I'm not mad at you for this ridiculous meltdown because this is the first time that you've been really into something and I've had to end it and you're super mad about it. And he's too young at that point even to say to him like, hey, what you're feeling is anger or what you're feeling is frustration. It's not until they have the language skills that they can even begin to understand that. Mm. So that's what I feel about like with dogs and their complex ranges of emotions is that I feel like, and and certainly my understanding is that the evidence is beginning to show that the things that many people in the past thought was anthropomorphic about dogs is actually turning out not to be the case. We know that dogs for starters, are self-aware. This was an interesting post that came up in our group a little while ago about someone asking about self-awareness of dogs. And most dogs will fail the mirror test, you know, like most Mm. dogs will look in the mirror and, you know, initially anyway, not realize that it's them. They think it's a different dog in the mirror. And, And some dogs, I'm sure you've probably seen this as well, go their whole lives never realizing that it's them in the mirror and they'll have do your Frenchies do that? Have constant arguments with the other dog on the other side of the mirror? No, they habituated out of it. I think they just don't think on it anymore. But when you talked about that whole mirror test, there is an incredible one. I know I've discussed this before, but I've seen it several times. It's shown up in my feed and people send it to me periodically where there's a bear sauntering down in the forest and there's a trail cam watching the bear and there's a mirror propped up against the tree. And the bear sees it and he's like stacks up straight away and runs over to the mirror. But then he's looking at the other side of it where it's not reflective as in going, oh, he's not there. And then he comes around the corner and sees himself again and like springs backwards and stacks up and muscles up again. It's hilarious watching because then he beats down on the mirror because he's uh, got quite a shock from it. 
I've seen like a range of animals that have done that test before. It was interesting that you brought that up because I recall very early off in my student career when I was learning about animal behavior and training and Dr. Robert Holmes and Boyd were talking about that in a lecture one day where I think it was part of the ape family, chimpanzees and gorillas and so forth, that when they introduced orangutans as well. So when they introduced like a dot on their head, they realized, oh, something about my image has changed. Whereas when they showed it to capuchins and macaques and so forth, they kept attacking the mirror because they just could not see it as anything other than a foe. And then they realize, well, the higher developed brain of the ape family can understand that and has the cognitive ability to look at itself in the mirror and understand that's me. That's mm. that's the image of me. First time I see it, I'm shocked. And so would a human being as well. Like if you showed that to a tribes person who'd never seen a, a mirror before, they've probably seen reflections in water and and so forth, but if they've never seen a mirror before and they see, you know, like this person standing there, the first time they'd see it, they get a shock and then they realize, oh, that's just me. I'm looking at myself. I think what's interesting about that is certainly in dogs is that for us as humans, we look and go, oh, like you don't get it. That That's you in the mirror. You don't get it, right? You're not aware. But that's a very human way of looking at perception. Of course and, it is. And yeah, we try and explain away what we don't understand. Yeah. Like identifying yourself in the mirror because we rely on sight to identify people for the most part, mm. whereas dogs don't rely on sight to identify people really at all. They, they're, well, not at all, but certainly their primary sense in that is scent. And, and, and that's the evidence for it is that a dog will identify its own scent. So they are like very aware of themselves and that they are a conscious being that has its own identity and because they can identify their own scent as well as like, I don't know that there's any proper studies done on this, but certainly it's my observation. I saw someone posted something really interesting about it the other day. It's been my observation as well that dogs tend not to recognize you after about two weeks. If you haven't seen a dog in in probably, in my experience, about two weeks, they won't recognize you by sight. It's not until they get like a whiff of you and they actually smell you properly and then they're like, oh, that's you. And it sort of indicates that their memories of association to a person is stored somewhere in a scent picture rather than a, a visual picture. So like what things look like is probably not that important to a dog. And without the constant refresher of what you look like, your dog will very quickly, when it thinks of you, if it ever does, it probably thinks of you in terms of your scent rather than what you actually look like. Yeah, there's a high probability that that's quite accurate because I think that there's been times where I've observed similar things to, to what you're talking about where I've arrived home after I've been away for a period of time and the dogs have looked at me and you know like they'll look at me with the expression of who the fuck are you but then you can yeah. see their nose point into the air and they start taking those first initial whiffs of whatever's passing through the air my scent my odor and then suddenly yeah. you see their tails wag and then they come running up and go oh I recall who yeah. you are so yeah I think somebody posed a good question a while ago where talking about it's quite possible that dogs are even dreaming in scent when they're mm. asleep. And I think that that's probably an insightful picture itself. On that, and the reason I bring it up is just because everything that we seem to think of in the, you know, in the past where we say, oh, well, that's anthropomorphic, many of those things are turning out actually to be quite true. Like dogs can love us. They've proved that in an mm. fMRI. Like, there's all these things that people in the past, a lot of old school trainers or even people still today sort of dismiss as being like, no, you're assigning a human attribute to that dog. Like that's not the case. 
often those things are turning out to be the case. So how detailed their emotions can be and how what range and full spectrum of emotions they have, I don't know. I don't know the test to figure that out. To be honest, I haven't done a ton of research into it. I've done a little bit, but not a heap. But I think it's turning out that dogs are actually capable of many more emotions than we originally thought. And that probably they have like a different depth and a different spectrum of emotions than we can possibly imagine because we're not perceiving things the way that they're perceiving things. And just like, that's one of the reasons why like we don't think that they can do things that are evidently now we're able to see that they can do literally looking into their brain and their MRI mm. is that we just perceive things completely differently to them. And that's something like we're getting away from jealousy, but it's something that I'm super interested in at the moment is like the way that you perceive reality in that it's a deep rabbit hole to go down. Like it's probably not appropriate to go into heaps of detail here for our listeners and in humans and the way that we literally render reality within our own brain and that all that you ever actually see is just light spectrums and you're creating reality within your own head. But what's interesting about that is that another animal is going to be rendering those same inputs differently because they see them differently. They perceive them completely differently. And sometimes I do enjoy to do that. Like I enjoy to sort of retreat inside of my own head a little bit and try and imagine things from the perception of the dog, noting that the dog's going to see in a completely different color spectrum to us. So like literally things are going to be different colors when they look around some things are going to look differently to others. They're going to, their vision would be quite different to us, but also the way that they're taking in all their senses would is totally different as well. So the, the world that they're rendering in their own head is a really different world to the world that we render in ours. The world that you see in color is different than mine because I'm colorblind. Yeah, well, there you go. Right? So I have an understanding of that. There's some glasses that you can actually get. They're like a prescription glasses that uh, colorblind people can wear and suddenly they trick your brain into starting to see the colors as accurately as normal. And I haven't tried them on. I actually want to have a go of them, but he's been backwards and forwards to me and said, man, you've got to get some. These are game changers. Like I can see all the colors that a normal person can see. And him and I have got the same color spectrum deficiency. So it's a red green yeah, deficient right. colorblindness. So I sort of want to touch back on that anthropomorphic position that you had before. I feel that some of the points that you're talking about in anthropomorphism are fairly benign compared to some that other people have, where they take it one mm. step even further than that, or even two sure. steps further than that. And they really start to confuse and create this limitless boundary where their dog has taken the place of a child or a sibling or, you know, a parent or something like that. Don't get me wrong, if you find comfort and peace and harmony within the boundaries and the confines or the relationship of a dog, I'm all for that and I would never stand in your way. Up until you start to convince other people that that's the case, that's where I start thinking it becomes delusional. Like I've actually had people try and impress upon me that their dog can talk or is highly intelligent to a degree where it's not what the person is describing it to me and that's where mm. I think it becomes it's a little sad when I start seeing that happen because it's very misguided when they start to portray their dog in some scope that it simply cannot live up to. Mm. People say, well, what's the harm? The harm is is that they're trying to convince other people that that's a reality. If you want to enjoy your dog and you feel that your dog has these wonderful conversations with you and you find it soothing and so forth and you tell me that that's the way it is, 
oh, I'm not going to stand in your way. I'm, I'm not going to even tell you that's not true because if I can see that makes you happy, I'm just going to leave you alone and let you do what you want to do. But the minute you try and sell me on it, <laughs> that's where I'm walking across the road. Yeah, I think it only becomes an, an issue really when people are misinterpreting, when the dog is trying to communicate something and they're misreading it as something else. And like the most obvious example I can think of is that when people say that their dog's protecting them. Mm. And and a lot of people, we've talked about this many times, but when people are saying like, oh, my dog's protecting me and they like the fact that the dog's blowing up and erupting and all this kind of shit. And then that's where you got to say it like, this is harmful to the dog because he's not, he's got a big issue. He's freaking out. This yep. is not a dog that's strong. This is not a dog. Like that's an anthropomorphization that I think is problematic for the dog. I think most of the time when people, you see people that are, you know, if someone says their dog is jealous and we're not sure about jealousy, we could go, okay, well, fuck, let's split the difference and say, well, we are observing these behaviors. He probably does have a level of fear and insecurity over rights of access to a resource, right? So like we we can call that in we can call that jealousy for sure. Usually when I hear that a dog's jealous, it's usually because someone has like a new partner that they've got over and the dog isn't allowed, you know, like the dog gets on the couch in between those people or maybe growls at a new partner or something like that. And people then often refer to that as jealous. And I think that that's probably fair at that point. But that could be a resource we would say, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, totally. But that would be the same. If mm. you were in my house and you were trying to saddle up to my partner and I was getting in between and going like, hey man, you got to stop that. That would be the same thing. But is that jealousy behavior. or is that anger or is that resent? Is I, I mean, don't know, right? This is the thing. So that's that level and depth of emotion. But in that moment when someone says the dog is jealous, that's a time when I would go, hey, I'm not going to fight over this. Like mm. I'm going to just go, yeah, okay, cool. If jealousy is the word you want to use, no worries. But the treatment is this. This is how we're actually going to deal with that situation. If you want to use the word jealous, no problem. But it's when people then say, well, my dog's protecting me. And that's where we got to go. No, we can't split the difference on this. We're not having a conversation around is he or isn't he. We got to say, no, he's actually freaking out. Like he's a nervous reactive dog and he's reacting to this situation. He's not protecting you. He's attempting to protect himself. You know, like it's a different conversation. And so that's when I think that the anthropomorphization in that instance can become problematic. Like it's when people are really attributing something to the dog because they think that that's what the dog is doing. And it's in human terms, that's what they would like the dog to be mm. doing. But it's not at all what the dog is doing. And to treat it as if the dog were doing that thing would give the wrong outcome. Because if the dog, like, you know, in the instance where a dog really is protecting people and for sure those exist, right? Like I believe that that does exist. I think that they now and again are the type of dog that can read the play and decides like, hey, I'm protecting this. And it usually is resource-based. It usually is that this is my resource, but that would be a lot of the protection of many things. But if the dog is strong and decides it's going to like, no, you're not coming near this, then that's a very different treatment to a very weak dog that's freaking out and is just reacting. Well, the range and scope of intelligence is varying between similar species anyway. I mean, it's the same thing with human beings. You can have people who are highly adept and highly intelligent in a field, and it can be the same thing with certain animals as well. I mean, I've known dogs that are as dumb as a brick and others. We could be talking litter mates where one puppy could be extremely lacking in a lot of intelligence, in a lot of problem solving, and even just trying to find its way out of the litter box where you'll have one that will work it out in no time. And you can see that that dog has 
a high range of susceptibility in solving problems, not only in young life, but as it starts to evolve in, you know, from a juvenile all the way into an adolescent, into an adult, you can start to see this dog is highly adept at resolving issues and problems where the the sibling is still just as dumb as a post. Mm. And you can see the same in siblings as well. You can see some children that are of the same DNA within the parents, but somewhere along the line, it could be grandparents or uncles or something, an influence that's coming back through various different mosaics of DNA that will influence where they're going and where they're coming from. I want to get back into the the discussion of jealousy in particular with humans. Do you get jealous much these days? Do things make you jealous? Um, I don't think I get jealous much. I would be lying if I said that I didn't at all. What, um, what makes you jealous? Yeah, it's a good question. Like a jealousy... To be honest, it's not something in my current state that I really deal in very much at all. Like in attempting to better myself a lot, I put in the work into trying to find genuine happiness in other people's happiness. And that was something that it didn't come easy to me. I didn't have that. That wasn't something that was natural to me. And I had to put a lot of work into doing that. And the way that I did that completely was through the understanding of my take on my own version of religion and sort of spirituality in that I can be happy for you because you are me. We all are of the same one. You are one version of that one experiencing life through your eyes. And I'm a different version of that one. And so when you, when something goes well for you, I now can fully see that as something that going also goes well for me. Mm. But I would be lying if I said that there weren't instances where I saw somebody else being successful at something I wanted to be successful and couldn't be. And so while I can still be very happy for them, I still want what they have in that instance. And so like, I I think that technically still counts as jealousy. The example that comes to mind right now is when we were at that PSA trial a few weeks ago, Jay from our club, she got her first leg of her one on the Saturday. And then I was training with her on the Saturday afternoon trying to make sure that the dog, you know, just dialing the dog back in, right? Helping bring the dog back under control. Mm. And I was handling the dog for a little while and I have a good relationship with the dog and I can reinforce the dog pretty well. And, and very quickly, I've got a lot of control over this dog that I was then helping Jay, you know, retake control of to assist in training the next day. And because I was going to be decoying the next day, Jay actually made this joke and said, oh God, do you want to handle him? My first thought was, more than anything in the fucking world, I want to be on the field, right? Like my first thought was more than anything in the world, I will handle this dog. I want that so badly right now because I don't have a dog I can compete with. The trials that we're able to do, we can't do here with my dog and I'm probably never going to compete with that dog ever again. I don't know when I'll get a dog. Like, so all those things around, like I love dog sports. I want to be, I want to be a more active competitor in dog sports than I am like with my personal dog. So in that moment, I was jealous and it was not that I didn't want success for Jay because I'm out there helping train the fucking dog. I'm getting the dog prepared for the day and and fast, like it all went well. But in that moment, while I'm still was very happy for Jay that Jay did well and got the, the title, I still had a moment of watching from the sideline and thinking, I wish that were me. I wish I had that dog and I were competing with that dog. I feel like that level of jealousy while present is healthy because that's aspirational for me. And what's super important for me, and I know we've discussed this in the past when we talked about planning and all that kind of stuff is like, 
my success, anything that I want for myself in terms of success, I'm very careful in the way that I frame that in that it can't come at the cost of somebody else because then that's out of my control. So like you'll very rarely see me ever say that I even want to win anything Mm. because in order for me to win, I have to beat somebody else. And then that means that I'm not in control of the outcomes of these things. What I'll say is I want full points for sure. And if you get full points also, and we stand on the podium next to each other, that would be wonderful for me. And if the podium had a hundred people on it, and because we all got full points, I think that I would be just as happy for all of them. Like, I don't need to be different. I don't need to be above. I want to achieve what I've set out to achieve. And I am very careful in and of myself to set goals that in achieving them, I don't require less than from somebody else. Mm. That reminds me of a good quote. It's along the lines of, the circle that you surround yourself with is supposed to be supportive and nurturing, not jealous. I feel that, you know, like especially when we start talking about dog clubs, I'm going to travel back in time a little bit. Where I started to see some of the most sinister forms of jealousy was at dog confirmation shows. I saw people that were competing with the same breed, trying to improve the bloodlines of a dog, all had the same desires and compulsions around their own interest, which was, you know, well, let's talk about the Rottweiler because that was predominantly what I was involved in. What I saw was people almost sabotaging each other, almost trying to prevent each other from doing well. And I kind of thought to myself, why would you want to do that? Like, why would you want to have that level of disdain for each other it was such a prickly environment to be in where like if you spoke to one group, because I mean, I didn't have any real strong alliances with anybody. I just, I was part of the training club and that's what I operated. And as far as the training club goes, you don't have politics when you come in the door, you come in the door, you do training, you leave your confirmation bullshit outside. You leave that to the confirmation people. You don't bring it into the training center. One of the areas where I found most disappointment within the group was when people would come in and say to the people, oh, your dog's legs are standing left and right or your dog's got a horrible hump in its back or your dog's got a really thin head or something like that. And people just looked at it and goes, I didn't really ask for this assessment of my dog. This Mm. is just my beloved pet dog, something that I really enjoy the company of. And all I did was come down here to learn how to teach this dog how to sit, drop, stand, recall, be social around other dogs and behave itself. I don't really give a fuck that its head doesn't look like this or its gums aren't black or their bubble gum pink or whatever. And people were really quite despondent about getting that information. So we pretty much outlawed it. We just said, don't bring it here. We don't want it. But Mm. when I would go down to the confirmation shows, like if I went into a tent and sat down and had a wine with somebody or a beer with somebody and then went over to the other side, people would go, oh, what are you talking to them for? They're pieces of shit. And I said, Mm. not to me, they aren't. They're not like that. So I started to see disapproval and jealousy and especially if somebody won, somebody that they didn't think deserved to win. Like if somebody pulled a rabbit out of a hat and, you know, like it was a new person, they would congratulate them, but it was like they were sort of clapping for them with knives and bullets. And I kind of thought that's not genuinely nice. But I wouldn't say that I was above all that and I didn't ever do that and I wasn't that type of person or that I didn't pick a side or I didn't poo-poo somebody before because I've done that before. There's a very, very old saying in humanity just says that to err is human. And I have erred before. I'm completely honest about my 
shortfalls in my own personality and the things that I've done and the regrets that I have in life. And like you, I have been trying to suppress those feelings and trying to see the betterment of good people. But I guess if I was going to answer my own question, what makes me jealous or when do I suffer the fate of jealousy? It's probably when I see a horrible fucking piece of shit do well that I just think is just a really wretched person in general and I see Mm. them get ahead and I just think that's not fair. That's not Mm. fair. It's not really about me where I think it's not fair that they got it and I didn't. I just think it's not fair that they got it in general and there's a lot Mm. more deserving people out there. And that's where I guess where I, I feel envy and jealousy and I suffer from that. But when I see people at the dog club do well. Dom beat the the highest PSA one score in the country. Him and his dog took out the highest score. And I, I was thrilled for Dom. And I, mm. I've said that openly before. I mean, I think Dom is probably one of the best people I've ever met. He's got an incredible personality. He's just a lovely guy in general. He's very talented with handling his dog. He listens sincerely, you know, like he's got so many character traits that I really find admirable and I wish that I had some of them myself. And I was genuinely thrilled for Dom. And I thought it was marvellous and I do for anybody else. And I, I know how you feel like when you're saying, you know, like you want to be back on the field, when you're out there watching people doing well and, it, and it's going well for them, you think, oh, I hate this, but I kind of miss it at the same time. Like I get frustrated mm. and nervous about getting out there on the field, but it's also really cool when you're watching people trotting down the field and their dogs checking in with them and their decoy neutrality is going really well and you're just thinking, oh, that is super cool. And mm. I guess from your or my perspective where you and I are doing a lot of analytics and watching people and assessing them and judging what they're doing – for us, it's a really cool thing because you get to stand on the sideline and you're busy doing a job. You know, when you're decoying and you have to be precise about catching the dog and, you know, you also have to put enough pressure on the dog to really test the character of the dog and then, you know, like I've got to run in and the dog's got to be neutral to me and neutral to their environment and neutral to all the stimuli that's going off. I love all that. I love watching that. Like that's super, super cool. And in those instances, I've got no time to be envious or jealous. I'm working, I'm busy, and and I'm really having a good time doing what I'm doing in my support role that I'm playing in that as well. But seeing a jerk-off get something magnificent where you just think, I just don't think you deserve that, I guess that's probably what <laughs> enrages me and sparks my jealousy. So I was doing a little bit of Googling just as you were saying some stuff there because when you were describing what makes you jealous, that doesn't sound like jealousy. Because jealousy, as we read, generally refers to thoughts or feelings of insecurity, fear, and concern over a relative lack of possessions or safety. Mm. And what you were saying sounds more to me like anger or resentment. I would definitely take on resentment. I would probably think... That. And so the, the next paragraph here actually says jealousy can consist of one or more emotions such as anger, resentment, inadequacy, helplessness, or disgust. In its original meaning, jealousy is distinct from envy, though the two terms have popularly become synonymous in the English language, mm. with jealousy now also taking on the definition originally used for envy alone. These two emotions are often confused with each other since they tend to appear in the same situation. And then when I clicked on envy, let me just find this again. 
Envy is an emotion which occurs when a person lacks another's quality, skill, achievement, or possessions and either desires it or wishes that the other lacked it. And so now that I'm reading that, I think when I'm watching other people trial, I'm envious. I don't think I'm jealous at all because I'm not afraid. I'm not angry. I don't have any resent, but I do desire what they have for myself. And I'm happy that they have it. And I don't want, I want to have it, but not at the cost of them having it because I could do that. Do you know that? Like Jay said to me, do you want to trial him? And I was decoying, so I couldn't, but like I wouldn't have because that's your dog. We've, well, I'm here to help. I'm putting in the mm. work. It's your dog, right? I believe that what I was feeling was envy. And so what I think is really interesting about this conversation, because we bounced around a little bit talking about dogs, because I'm super interested in perception. But now when we even begin to discuss jealousy in our industry and, you know, the way people act around it, I think that this is actually, as I'm learning here, as I'm looking at this screen, this Probably is bigger envy. than jealousy, right? Yeah. Well, envy and anger, resentment, all those sorts of things. And they're all different things. And I think this is when, like, this is what's interesting about it is that as humans, me and you now with our huge brains and ability to communicate pretty well with each other, are bouncing around these ideas of the way that we feel in certain situations. Even we are sort of having a discussion about, well, I think Glenn, actually that's anger. I don't think that's jealousy, right? Like there, there's a lot to be having. And then when we talk about this in terms of dogs, like how the fuck can you possibly interpret exactly what a dog feels and how beyond reading their body language? That's all that we have, right? And like for some people are really good at that. And for many of us, we can sort of interpret quite a lot. But to tell the difference between jealousy and envy, it just took us quite a bit to figure out the difference for ourselves. Yeah, it almost feels like it was splitting hairs. The difference in dogs. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But mm. evidently, they're quite different things, according to Wikipedia, which mm. is never wrong. Wikipedia is never, <laughs> ever wrong. <laughs> or ChatGPT, which is just Oh, yeah, ChatGPT would never leave you astray. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that's quite fascinating in itself that I guess when you're looking for definitions, anything – one of the components that you really need to be comfortable with is accuracy of what you're actually feeling rather than the displacement of it could be an interpretation. It should be accurate as to what you're actually feeling. When you're doing that and having a look at that, I pulled up a good quote before, which I thought might summarize jealousy. And it says, they want to see you do good, but never better than them. Remember that. Mm. I've definitely seen that in dog confirmation where they're happy that if you get a place, but not happy when you knock them off there. Like if somebody's held a record for a period of time, you know, like they'll sort of clap with disdain. Would you call that envy or would you call that jealousy? I guess it depends on the character that's before yeah. you, wouldn't it? Exactly. I think that's inside the head of the person who's having that feeling. And to get to the bottom of that, that quote of yours is quite dark, you know, it is. and and I feel like it's not necessarily true of everyone. It's not I think my that quote. If that were true, no, that's right. But I think that if that were true, and I'm sure it often is, I'm sure for many people that often is the case, but I think that's an insight into your keeping poor company. Mm. And so, you know, to go back to our listeners question, who specifically asked us not to mention her name. So I'll be careful and I don't want to give any identifying things. So I've been thinking about jealousy a lot about feeling jealous, but also about being jealous being the subject of someone else's jealousy, especially in dog sports. I see this a lot and friendships break because someone may be more successful than the other. How is jealousy handled best? How do I deal with feeling it and the negative thoughts and emotions coming with it? 
how can I deal with people jealous of me, especially in a club environment, and how to create a space where jealousy is least likely to occur? Thanks very much. Name of a person who I won't say. That's what I think is super interesting is exactly as you said there, if you find yourself in a club environment where people want you to do well, but not better than them, that sort of speaks to maybe you're hanging out with some of the wrong people. I've certainly confronted this. Like this actually, I'm glad we're talking about this because this is sort of something that I've had to work through in that like take, for example, PSA in Australia. We have been banging our heads against the wall trying to get that going for many years and now it is. We're really gaining momentum. It's really starting to pick up. We've got big challenges ahead of us, as we spoke about in the last episode with Animal Justice Party and blah, blah, blah. But assuming we can get through all of that, we are doing really well. And that's going to be a really functioning sport in Australia that's growing very, very quickly. And I, I truly believe will outgrow many of the other sports very quickly. You know, you and I and others getting it started here. I wanted to be the most successful person in that game. I wanted to be. I was on track to do that. But now with my dog aging out and the more people coming in, I am not going to be. I'm not. And very quickly, there are going to be people who have progressed further into the game than I have. And they will do that with my help and support. And for sure, there's been moments where I've had to sort of think on that to myself. Like, cause that, like, I want what they are going to get, what people are on track for. I look at some of the people now who are getting involved, who are really, really good trainers, who have really good dogs and they have really good support. And I look at that and I think, fuck, I didn't have all of that when I, when I started. So I, I have a level of jealousy over that, you know, like I didn't have access to this. This wasn't a thing. All the the big free training days and the combined training and stuff that we're doing, that, that wasn't around. And now that we're providing that to people, that is going to lead to a level of success. And so one way that I found myself looking at that was like, oh, fuck, like I'm, I'm helping people beat me. Like I'm helping people overtake me. And one view on that that's really easy to take is I'm going to be overtaken. But then another view that isn't my first thought, I have to admit, it's not my first thought, but it's the one that I, I hold most dear because I, I put a lot of work into getting to that point and I truly feel it, is that like, oh, I'm going to be part of that with them. I am going to help them succeed in doing that. And I think that that's what a club is and it has to be that. But I think one of the things is like human beings, especially we're designed for fucking combat, right? Like mm. we are designed to live long enough to reproduce. That's what all animals are designed to do. And in doing like helping people out and beyond creating a community that has an, like you need an other, you know? So that's why you'll get clubs. That's always going to be the case that clubs will war with other clubs and sports will war with other sports. You divide a room down the half and the people on the left call them lefties and righties they're going to go to war, right? They're going to hate each other because mm. that's what we're designed to do that because it keeps our in-group tight. So long as there's an out-group, then your in-group has to remain tight because we have to work together. But while there's no one to work against, that's when we can start to turn on each other because now we're just competitors, right? And we're hardwired. We're programmed to feel that way. But we're running old software, man. Like that's not helpful in the modern society. That's super helpful when we're fighting for fucking resources, like literally, like when we're actually literally fighting for every resource that we get and we have to steal and work to get all those things. 
but look at this leather couch behind me. I can just go take a nap whenever I want on that thing. You know what I mean? Well, you like, can walk down the street easy. and you can buy a yeah, beer and a pretzel food. on half the corners. Water comes out of the tap. Yep. You know? You like, sh- you've got a toilet that you can sit on and doom scroll until yeah. your butt yeah, falls asleep. Exactly. All sorts of things. So like all that software that tells me to go to combat with somebody else, it's still there. And that's my primary thoughts. But like I think that it's not easy. And this is certainly this is not something that I did naturally, but yeah, I have found myself and taught myself to reframe my thinking around that in those group environments to look at my own in group, first of all, and say like, Hey, we're a team and I want success for you. I want you to be successful and I will give as much as is appropriate for me. Like, cause at the end of the day, we're playing games with our dogs, right? Like we're not playing for sheep stations here, right? Mm. We're, we're just playing games with our dogs and we get crappy metal and a certificate and we're like, yeah, I achieved the thing. Like, so there's, there's a certain limit to the the involvement that you can have in these things. You can't live, sleep, breathe, eat it 24-7 all the time. People but, try. Yeah, but that's probably <laughs> somewhat unhealthy in and of yeah, itself. You have to have other yeah, things going yeah, on. Yeah. But that's what I mean is that like within your in-group, like I want success for them, but then what I've also had to come to really put a lot of work into is even looking at the out-group, right, the other group, and being like, hey, I want success for you guys too. I'm not going to offer you as much support because this is my in-group but I for sure am not going to fuck you around. I for sure am not going to do anything that would limit your success. But without a doubt, my initial impulse is to do that because I'm a human being and I want my tribe to be successful. I want my tribe to fucking conquer your tribe. I want to, I want to fucking kill and eat you, right? Like that's what the software in me tells me to do. But then I have to reprogram my thoughts and be like, no, this is not helpful. And I think I spoke about it in the past, like this is one of the things like jealousy is maybe not the word. And maybe our listener that wrote to us about this, I don't know how much thought they put into the word jealousy because we're unpacking it quite a bit and realizing it's not necessarily the right word in some instances. But I don't know whether they did the same level of thought, but for me, I think competition, especially between friends can do weird and interesting things. Mm. And for me, that's one of the reasons why I try not to go into competition with anyone. And I don't know if I've ever spoken about the podcast. I'm sure I would have, but when me and one of my closest friends, so like to give you some context of how important this guy is to me, we're in the army together. I was a groomsman at his wedding. I'm the godfather of his child, right? We are very tight friends. When he was in a very serious life-threatening emergency, I got the phone call and I went and fixed the problem for him, okay? So this is how tight we are. But when we had an exercise challenge... Yeah, you've talked about the the MEPS challenge. (laughs) All we were doing was like who could keep their heart rate at the highest level for a month. And there was high stakes. We had to get a tattoo. The loser had to get a tattoo. Those MEPS, those my zone effort points... And the loser had to get a tattoo that said out mapped. Now I'm covered in tattoos. I've got tattoos all over me and some of them are dog shit. It's not like I'm a, like, I only want good tattoos person. I love bad tattoos. I think bad tattoos are awesome. I enjoy getting tattoos off of people who don't know what they're doing. I love that. Right. So the idea of getting a tattoo that said out mapped, and it would have been done by my wife who's a professional tattooist. Like it would have been fine. It would have looked good. That was not the threat. It was just losing to this friend. And so I had to create an enemy in my head. And for that month, (laughs) I hated him. And I had to frame him in that way that he was a person that I needed to destroy because that's how my brain works. And now whether that's really me and my biology, whether that's me and my raising, I don't think that's me and my raising because my parents would never have encouraged me to do that. What I think that was is me spending 12 years in fucking special forces where when you don't win, you die. And so that's just how my brain 
fucking worked. But at the end of it, I was not happy in the slightest. And in reflection, I was like, I did not enjoy that version of me in any way, shape or form. Like when I really reflected on it and was bragging one day to him about having beat him and watching him get his outmap tattoo, I was not happy in the slightest. I actually felt gross about the whole thing. So that's why I try really hard not to compete with people. And, and it's not because I'm not competitive. It's because I don't like myself when I'm in competition with others. I do really like myself when I'm supportive of others. That is not natural. That is a thing that you have to fucking work at. Like, and that, is, and that takes constant work. You got to do all the bullshit, you know? And I say this all the time when people ask me about yeah, because we get a lot of questions about mindset stuff and all that. And like, I don't want to be a mindset coach. I'm not that. I'm not a life coach to anybody. I, we talk shit about dogs, right? Like, and I, mm. I train dogs to do cool things. I don't want to be someone's life coach. But what I say is like, I do all the bullshit. I do the fucking, the sauna and the meditation and the working out and the ice bath and all of that kind of shit that allows me to keep my mind in order and allows me to think in a way that I think is helpful and productive to my life and my family and my friends and my club and blah, 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 all those sorts of things, rather than putting myself into the position of like, I'm a caveman and I'm going to conquer the cave crew next door. Let's take this back to the club environment where you started to originate this story from. You made a couple of good points about the author's original points, saying that they felt there were people at the club that acted in a jealous way towards them or it you know, as we've discovered, it was probably more likely an envious way towards them. It wasn't envy one of the original deadly sins, the seven deadly sins. Yeah. What's the history of the seven deadly sins though? Do you know that? Who came up with those and why? I believe it was biblical and it was... Nah, it's definitely not biblical. I thought it was biblical and I thought it was God who laid down what the seven deadly sins were. So it was like greed, wrath, envy, gluttony. No, oh, no, you're right. Yeah. Okay. So set the seven deadly sins, also known as the capital vices or cardinal sins, is a grouping and classification of vices within Christian teachings. Mm. According to the standard list, they are pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth, which are contrary to the seven capital virtues. Yeah, but I don't know that this, where did this come from? I don't know like who handed those down. If we sort of circle back to the club environment for argument's sake, when you do have that environment where it becomes very toxic, I think from what I've seen in my own experiences is when you have good leadership in the club where you start to see that sort of thing taking place. And, you know, I've seen that at Iron Fist a couple of times when there've been relevant people and it's usually you or me or who are sitting with people and saying, hey, guys, if you want to pull this bullshit down at the club, then beat it. And primarily reminding people why it's called Iron Fist is that we don't tolerate any bullshit down there. And if you want to smack talk each other, if you don't want to support each other, if you want to turn up and be a complete then fuck off because this is not the club for you and this is not a place that wants to have somebody of your ilk down here because we really want to support each other. We really want to applaud each other and see each other do extremely well in, in, in club trials and so forth or wherever it is that you're going to and whatever that you're doing that you're competing in. You know, there are people like yourself who have competed in multiple disciplines. You've done dabs in Mondio, dabs in IGP. You've been reasonably successful in PSA and so forth. And other people have done likewise. Casey is one of those sort of people. And I think that's exciting and fun. You know, I like to see that people are doing well on those type of things. And I do believe that if you've got a club 
where you've got that mentality of people that are ripping it apart from the inside out. Let's say, for example, that it's somebody, let's create a similarity or a parallel to a business world and you call it middle management. We've got people there that they're an experienced club member and they've been there for a while, but they are that type of person who is just a bit of a shit stain in the club. Really, what needs to happen is I believe that the club needs to get together and there needs to be either a senior person speaking with that person saying, look, do you really want to be here? Do you like being here? Are you happy when you're down here? Does it make you feel good when you're down here or does it make you feel like shit when you're here? Do you hate people Mm. here? Do you hate coming here? Because it doesn't seem like you're really supporting the ethos of what the club stands for and the people that are down here. Mm. And if that's the case, then, you know, if that person comes to a conclusion, yeah, I'm really not happy here then maybe it's time to conclude whether you really need to be a member of that club or not or if you really should be in dog sports at all for that matter of fact because so many people suffer for it and generally at some stage a dog, if not their dog, will be the recipient of a really shitty life because that person is generally unhappy and it's free-flowing out of every pore of their body. So Mm. I've seen you do it before. I've seen it where you have cultured people before and said, hey, this is what it stands for and if you don't want to be here, then don't. You know, like if you want to smack talk people, then go and do it elsewhere because we don't support that type of lifestyle. And I think that's pretty cool. I like that. I've subscribed to that. I think more of that should go on. I feel that people don't confront each other in a tactical way. I'm not talking about in a confrontational, aggressive way, but I feel that people don't confront each other in a healthy way, in a productive way enough. I feel that things are allowed to manifest too far beyond where they got to. I think sometimes people need to get together and say, enough of this shit. Let's not do this. This is not how we roll down here. On the other hand, it needs to be assessed is it might not be just the person that's been accused of it. It might be the person who's complaining of it as well because I've seen that in multiple assets as well. I've seen people do that in their work culture where somebody will accuse somebody of something and then only to find out that the accuser is the toxic person, the person creating the problem, the person that is claiming that there is jealousy and unfair treatment and exclusions taking place and so forth, but yet they're the ones that are doing it. I've even found that, like I've said before, there have been times in my own friendships with people where I've realised I'm the one that's the problem here. It's not them. Mm. You know, like all of these people like each other and they all have similar vested interests, which they're all happy and excited about. I'm the one that feels and acts negatively when I'm here. I'm the problem. I'm the one that needs to leave. And that's a hard thing to come to grips sometimes, especially when pride and ego and all sorts of things get in the way of making better judgment. But there are times where I've been involved in those sort of situations where I have needed to do a little bit of self-analysis and look upon it and say, it's me. I'm the problem. I need to go. I need to let these good people enjoy themselves and I need to go and find something else where I'm not being a total fuckwit down at the club here or in this group or being involved in this hobby. I need to take myself out of it. Lo and behold, by doing that, I've actually found out that I've been happier for it. Like I've been more Mm. fulfilled and I've actually thought that was a great thing that I did that because I took something away that was causing me a lot of pressure or a lot of dissatisfaction. And I don't think people are brave enough to do that sometimes. I think they feel very insecure within themselves. Like they, for some reason they feel like, no, I'm deep rooted to this fucking chair in this institution. I've got to stay here and hold ground 
where sometimes the best thing is to just stand up and say, you know what, guys, it's been a blast, but it's not anymore. And I wish you well. And I hope you all enjoy great success. And I'm going to go and do it with some other people because I'm just not liking this. Or you can get up and say, hey, I think you're a bunch of and I don't want to hang around with you anymore. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking out loud here, but I feel like practical advice for our listener. And I've actually just realized they actually asked this quite a long time ago. So I hope it's still relevant or I hope it's not still relevant. Let me rephrase so that (laughs) you've solved the issue. But I think that if you're feeling jealousy slash envy, and we already acknowledge that those are different things, but maybe that's a hard thing to determine which one it is. So if you're feeling either of those, like I think personally do the work yourself and put in the time, energy, all the things that are required to really try and take true joy and happiness in somebody else's experiences. And I think that the path to doing that is many and varied. Like if you're religious, you know, every religion can bring you around to this point. And even if you're not, there's a path to really experiencing true joy through the happiness of others. And I think that putting in the work into that, since I've learned to actually do that, uh, really changed me as a person and made me a much better person that I enjoy the company of more than anything. You know, I don't know if anybody else does, that's their experience, but I certainly like myself a lot more since I've been able to think in those terms. But I think when you're dealing with other people, especially within a club environment who are potentially jealous slash envious of you, I think one of the things that you could probably do to avoid that even becoming an issue is to include those people in your journey so that your success is their success. And by constantly acknowledging their input and by, you know, assisting them, taking their advice on board, having them assist you, then I think that that could barely be a really big stopgap to avoiding that person become jealous or envious of your success when you make it their success as well. Mm. And like, finally on that, I think that if that's not working particularly well is that's where we kind of do have to hack human biology a little bit. And this would like in my estimation be sort of a short-term fix. Like this is not certainly not something that I would want to sustain long-term, but if I was in a shitty situation, I needed to just get through it, then hacking that human biology and understanding, well, okay, like within my network, within my club, if I need people to come on board with me and not display those jealousy, anger, resentment, whatever, if, if I want them not to point that at me, I can get them to point it at someone else. And that's where having like a club, a tight in group that then you can start to really bring in the club and say like, even if you don't want to help me on my journey, we as a group should work to be more successful than another group. That doesn't have to get gross. It doesn't have to be. It very often is, but I don't think it has to get gross where you can say like, you know, you can bring that tight cohesion. But I do have to admit one of the things that usually is an indicator for me, like when I, I travel around, I train with a lot of different clubs here, Australia and, and abroad, and I follow them on Facebook. I like to watch people's behavior. I like to see the way that people interact. And usually one of the things that grosses me out in the dog space is theatrical friendships. You see yeah. quite a lot of those on online. I can tell, you know, I've been around long enough. You've probably seen this a million times is when people have a theatrical friendship where you can tell that they are posting things not because they, when someone acknowledges someone or or says good things about someone, it's really easy to see between the lines on that and see whether they really mean it. There's a difference between climbing a mountain shouting that you love someone because you just need everyone to fucking hear it because you really do love that person that much and you acknowledge them and whatever versus making sure that people know that you and this person are in together. That's a really different thing. And it's so obvious to see 
And so in my experience, what I've seen plenty of is through theatrical friendships within a club environment and clubs that will tell you about how tight they are and they are a really tight knit group that is publicly very tight knit group. They never are. Those clubs are doomed. The moment that you see the clubs that are like, we do everything together, we're a club, you know, like, and they're super tight online, they're hanging on by a thread. And within the next couple of years, they're going to fall apart. But they are very often successful while they're together like that. So if that is a final strategy to get through what you need to get through in order to achieve what you're looking to achieve, you can do that. And I think in those instances where you other another group or another club, another whatever, so long as you're not actually looking to, there's no detriment to those people. You're just want to beat them on the field. That is a strategy for bringing in cohesion within your group. But that would, you know, in my opinion, be the last ditch effort to keep that group together. And you have to note at that point, like you're sticky taping the whole thing together at that point, it's going to fall apart. Mm. What do you think? I think that's good gospel, (laughs) what you just preached. I, I like it. I think that it makes a lot of sense and it had me reflecting on a few things. In particular, I got a comment from a colleague the other day. We were having a conversation on social media they were asking for my thoughts and feelings on something and I gave them a very dry answer. I sort of got crickets after I gave the answer and the conversation ended there and I didn't think anything of it. A couple of days later, colleague comes back to me and goes, you know, Glenn, sometimes when I ask you a question, it would be nice if you read the room a little bit better and didn't give me such an honest response. And I kind of thought, Maybe that's why I get in trouble with people sometimes because if I see something, sometimes it just shoots out of my mouth what I think and feel about the situation. And I don't think people like honesty anywhere near as much as what they say they do. They like a version of honesty sometimes and I feel that sometimes that shoots you in the face as well. When I have given people a version of what I think is the honest truth or the feedback that I can see it through my own eyes and thoughts and feelings, they don't like it sometimes. And then sometimes where I have tried to water it down, then you get accused of being patronizing about it as well. So sometimes it's very difficult to know what the right thing is to say. And I believe it's an art form sometimes to sit and contemplate what the correct answer is without enraging the room around you. I've struggled with that myself where I've said things and some people have found it as being an unfavorable response or not what they expected to hear or not what they liked. But I'm very familiar also, I'm sure I've shared it on here before, where it's a comment that was shared with me that says, he who is friends with everybody is friends with nobody. And it's always been a concern of mine in that sometimes I just don't think you're supposed to be friends with everybody. And sometimes you need to pick a side when you're sitting on the fence because they do also say that the only thing that comes from sitting on the fence is an arsehole full of splinters. And I've certainly shared that one before. So clubs are hard. People are hard. Social circles are hard. Like I found that myself. Family are hard. Trying to remain agreeable in family situations. It's hard. Being a person in a social situation, in a workplace situation, it's hard. And I think along the lines and sentiments of things that you and I have talked about and certainly quite possibly along the discussion that we've had here tonight, I feel that sometimes it's probably better to sit with it a little longer than to shoot from the hip and answer it directly because I probably feel that that's where most of my shortfalls have come from myself and where I've received some of my greatest criticisms is because people have asked me something and I've thought, well, you want an answer to this, so I'll give it to you. And I've 
turned around and thought, were you fucking insensitive dry bastard giving me that piece of shit answer to the question (laughs) where I've thought to myself, well, that's a perfectly honest answer, but it's not what they wanted. And then you're left with and you're facing perception. And then perception from them is you hate me or you are jealous of me or you don't like me because I've certainly been accused of that before where people have said, you mustn't like me because of the way that you speak to me. And I thought, actually, that's quite the opposite. I think quite highly of you, which is why I want to be honest with you and tell you what I really feel. But as I've said, I think part of the art and part of the character of good conversation and polite conversation is sitting with it a little longer, reading your audience well and and not being so quick to answer, but sometimes just thinking, I think it's a perfectly good answer sometimes to say, I don't have an answer or let me sit with it a little longer. I'm not quite sure. I need to think on it. I've Mm. certainly felt that as I've started to get on in age, I've been able to do that with success. And I do thank you too, Pat. I think that having you as a close friend and colleague, I've learned that from you. I think that you're wise beyond your years. There's certain things that you do and the way that you behave, which is the actions of a much older person. And I feel that you've taken on things that most people have almost taken a complete lifestyle to achieve. And I feel that you're a comforting person to be around. As my grandmother says, people will judge you by the people that you surround yourself with. And I feel that having you in my corner has certainly been a better thing. Thank you, sir. There's a quote I try to live by a little bit. It's a Marcus Aurelius one. It says, you always own the option of having no opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that like these days people, that's a tricky one. You know, everybody wants like, what do you think about this? And well, I don't give a fuck. It doesn't seem to be an acceptable answer to people, but it's in the Rolodex. I think the whole quote is, you always own the option of having no opinion. There is never any need to get worked up or to trouble your soul about the things you can't control. These things are not asking to be judged by you. Leave them alone. Yeah. Sage advice. We've spoken about it a couple of times on the show. Marcus Aurelius, for people who don't know, like if you're not into stoicism, you don't really need to be like a crazy stoic person. And I read meditations before I really even knew what stoicism was. But meditations is his journal. Mm. So Marcus Aurelius, it was a Roman emperor, people don't know. And he, um, you know, in Gladiator, you know, the, the, the Russell Crowe character has a tight relationship with the emperor before he died, before he's yeah. killed by his son Commodus. So that's Marcus Aurelius. Now that's not like historically accurate. Commodus didn't kill him. Well, we don't think so. He died of the plague, but he's accurate that Commodus was a real piece of shit. He was Marcus Aurelius's only surviving son. I think that a lot of great men probably turn out to be terrible fathers because those two things are very difficult to be at the same time. So Mm -hmm. he probably didn't do a great job raising Commodus because he basically destroyed the empire after Marcus died. But Marcus Aurelius himself is a really interesting study. Like the history of him is fascinating in that, you know, he was not born an emperor. The emperor prior to him, well, actually two prior to him, had no male sons. And so he actually pulled Marcus out of the school. So he was just a normal sort of upper middle class family. His mother owned like a construction business and he was pulled out of school as being a really good stoic student and was groomed from eight years old, or I think maybe 12 years old, I can't remember, to be the emperor. So he wasn't born into it and he wasn't like of royal blood and this is just how it's going to be. He was, as a child, trained to run the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like at a time when the Roman Empire was taking over the entire world. The book, Meditations, 
is just his private thoughts. Like he would probably be mortified to know that people are reading it today. Like it was just his own journal. And so it's not written like piously. Like it's not like him telling you what's what. It's him telling himself what's what. It's him just writing shit down as it becomes important to him. Mm. And so like from that point of view, when you look at that sort of quote, you always own the option of having no opinion. That's not him telling you you have the option of having no opinion. That's him writing that down and reminding himself of that, which I think is like adds a really different layer of context to that sort of situation, right? So that quote is really different when you realize that's a guy saying that to himself, not preaching it to others. It goes along and supports another saying that I think is quite profound and simple in itself, which is if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel that sometimes people weigh into conversations when they really don't need to. I've kind of felt that I've been sitting around a group before and I've felt the need to say something, to sound profound, to be a contributor in the conversation where really I've just been enjoying listening to the conversation. I've thought, what is this compulsive nature that I feel like I have to interrupt and say something and have the eyes of the group turn around and look at me? I'm competing. And I guess in some of those sort of situations, it might be feeling a little jealousy, a little insecurity that, you know, people are making profound statements or getting giggles and getting the laughs in the group where sometimes it's just nice to be a passenger. Just listen to the conversation and just take it all in and just think, oh, that this is a fun conversation. I don't really need to contribute anything to it. I can just listen to it, enjoy it, drink a beer and walk off and think on it a little bit more. And I guess with age and a little maturity, there's times where I've done that as well, where I've thought, I don't have to be the elder in this group. I don't have to be the wise man in this group. In fact, I've really got nothing to contribute because it's a conversation that's going quite well without my input to it. And I think all that I would add to it is just competition, not really any further insight. It's probably better to shut the fuck up and just say nothing at all. Maybe that's good advice for some other people who are listening to this. Just enjoy the time. Just enjoy the fellowship of the people that you're with. You don't have to be the class clown all the time. You don't have to be the cool guy or you don't have to be the one who's just got to say something for the sake of something. Sometimes it's just being there and being present. I shared that sentiment with Michael Ellis when he was here. There's plenty of times where we've been around doing things like our motorcycling and so forth. And we've literally ridden around a whole area and not taken one single photo or forgotten to do it. And we've just thought, that's a shame that we didn't do it. But we were there. We experienced it. Mm. We were part of that. It's in with us. It's still there. The only reason that you need to take a photo is to share that with other people or to show it to other people or to brag about it to other people. But we experienced it. Like it yeah. was part of something that we shared in in a group. And sometimes I think that's cool enough on its own as well. I know we've got far off the track. It started off talking about <laughs> jealousy. and it's and We it's, bounced around all over the place. We did. That's for sure. Well, that's you and me. We're like Rick and Morty. Yeah, that's the show. Uh, have that's you watched Solar Opposites yet? Have you? Got I any? haven't. No, oh, no. Man. I'm flying to Perth. Probably by the time this is out, I feel like a Christian missionary traveling around converting people. Like I'm spreading, uh, like, PSA. have you read the PSA rule book? I'm spreading <laughs> the good word of Jerry Bradshaw everywhere we go. So I'm in, I'm in Perth this weekend, which is super exciting that they're potentially going to be bringing, coming into the PSA fold. Apparently there's quite a lot of people coming to this event to nice. learn what PSA is. Me and Cole are headed over there to do that. So that's going to be awesome. Fantastic. Um, and my goal is to watch that show that you have recommended to me on the plane. On the and I cannot believe that I've never found it before. I actually found it by accident. It's the creators of Rick and Morty. It's called Solar Opposites. 
Hey, that's another point that you just reminded me of. We have expressed our deep concern for people that are involved in PSA and are competing in PSA, how very few people are actually reading the rule books. Mm. Read the rule yeah. book, folks. I mean, I mean, that's true of all sports. I don't think that's just, I mean, that's because we're immersed in it, but it's what I find myself with all dog sports is read the rules, read the rules, read the rules and know where the points are. Like you got to read the rules just to understand the organization and how the game unfolds. But also if you're playing that game, you need to know where the points are. And it's one of the things you see people drilling, drilling, drilling their like down in motion while they've got a shitty out. And it's like that, that out, if it doesn't work, that's a failure. Yeah. That down, the difference between a really good one and a really terrible one is two points. Or you're healing. So, like you're healing, you yeah. know, like not checking in four points straight off the bat. Each leg that you're doing, it's four points straight off the bat in PSA one and above. And as soon as that yeah. dog starts checking out its points, and then anytime the dog bumps or makes contact with you or goes wide, you know, that's half a point to one point getting stripped yeah. off your score. And they all add up. Every time half a point or a point starts disappearing, it could be a make or break. So here's a compromise for that type of thing, or even an idea rather than a compromise, is that there are days where your decoy or somebody at the club might not be able to turn up, which might put it on a halt. Why not still agree to all come together and have like a book club where you're sitting around reading the rules and reenacting them together and talking yeah, it through. there's plenty you can do. There's plenty you can do where everybody could bring a copy of the rules together. You should have a copy of your own rule, even if it's an iPad or something like that, or a Remarkable or something where you could sit down and you can highlight things and start realizing, all right, I really need to know. Um, as you said, there are points where there are sections where it's three points and there are sections where it's 20 points. And uh, mm. like I feel that why sacrifice a good 20 points where your dog can't heal and won't heal during – a significant exercise where you're literally fighting to save a three-point exercise. Yeah. All right. That's it. I've got to get out of here because it's almost time for the ghost to come out in my shop here. Mm. So I've got Yeah, it is. Got what, be- what time is it? You got um you've got 25 <laughs> yeah. minutes before he starts. Yeah. I gotta get pack around. up and out of here before I hand over to the ghost at 10 p.m. Yep. So that gives me a hard deadline. Are you gonna talk so about your it. Christmas party? Yeah. Well, I put up a post the other day for people in Sydney to get on my mailing list. I think 180 people joined that list or something like that. So not all of you can come to the Christmas party. We're not all going to fit. No. But I did notice some people who are not in Sydney jumped on that list, but no worries. But the whole reason I wanted that is because I'm finally at the point now where I want to start running events in here. I've got everything set up and I've got the, well, I kind of have the time. And long-term listeners of the show may remember that pretty much every year I'm like, we should have an industry Christmas party. And people who only have like a tiny business like me, that is just me and sometimes one other person with me, need a Christmas party for the industry where we can all get together and pretend we work for a big corporate organization and abuse each other and have fallings out and we'll have a we'll have a metal, um, an aluminium pole and it's not over until the host is submitted to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> festivus stuff. <laughs> like, I want to have a Christmas party. And now that I have this huge warehouse, I'm going to do it. And it's going to be on the 8th of December. Um, save the date, but an email will go out. It's going to go out to that list. Um, so it's not too late. You can get on that. It go through back through my Facebook and shit. You'll you'll find it. Get on that list if you're in Sydney, because I'm going to set it all up. Um, I, I think at the moment we're looking like we'll be able to do it for about 150 bucks. And that'll be like food, booze, the whole lot, like the full Christmas party experience. And we'll do it here at my place. 
with enough people here, we can stay past 10 p.m. with the ghost. You just don't want to be here by yourself after 10 p.m. And so it'll be a Christmas <laughs> party here, 8th of December. If you want to come, get on that list. I don't think I can only fit maybe 45, 50 people in here. So, that, like, it's good. not going to be a huge event yeah, because that's, that's all I can fit. But that's, that's a good amount. That's a that's so anyway, a great amount, a fun amount. Yeah. We should have, like, a list of places close by that people can stay. So if they want to sort of carry it no, on. Sydney people only. <laughs> well, there's a million places. Like, I'm right in the middle of Leichhardt. So, like, there's so many places around. You'd get an Airbnb in walking distance, no problem. But there's the pub that's literally, my shop is the horse stables of the pub from 150 years ago. So like the pub is literally just on the corner away. I think they have accommodation upstairs. Yeah, there'll, nice. be, there'll be plenty of opportunities for people. Mm. And, you know, at the end of the day, if some people crash here, that'll be fine too. You yep. just have to stay with the ghost. Yeah. All right. That's it. Another episode of Canon Paradigm. Yeah. As always, if you like what you hear, just like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Then go to another one, do it there. If you want to support the show, best way to get on the mailing list. Fucking get on it, for God's sake. Get on it. Yeah. Get on it. We'll send you won't an email get anything, but point. get on it. We're collecting them. We need them. Yep. We need those emails. Yep. We need those delicious emails in case Zuck fucking shits the bed and Facebook disappears. We need to be able to email you each week and go, hey, the show's out. We're currently just collecting those emails. Jump on it. If you want to support the show, best way to do that is Patreon. A couple bucks a month or a few bucks a month gets you access to a giant backlog of information and new stuff going forward. We do live streams once a month and all kinds of cool things are going to happen in the Patreon. So jump into there. Another good way you can support the show is to jump into spring and you can Mm. buy some cool merch. We get a couple of bucks for the shirt. You get a cool shirt. You get to rep us around and it goes, it super helps the show when people are wearing the gear. And if you're on the bus wearing a canine paradigm t-shirt and you pull your airpod out and as you put that airpod into somebody else's ear with my voice coming into it and they're like why would you do that you can just point to your logo on your shirt and be like these guys these are the ones you should look this up i finally got some i finally got the, got AirPods. the airpods you like i do i love them yep they're great they're great what i would like to see we should get a shirt that says vote no to the animal justice party <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah well, maybe around election time we could. Yep. And what's the next thing after that? If you want to get in contact with us, jump into the Facebook discussion group. Yep. There's loads of good conversations happening in there. People conversing with each other, discussing as it were all the time. Just be nice to everyone in there. We try to maintain a really nice community. And I think so far we do a really good job. Everybody yep. in there does a great job. I'm proud of everyone. If you want to get in contact with us directly, you can shoot us an email. We are info at the Love you. Goodbye. <laughs>